Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, Esty Rand. Welcome to episode 61 of the Business Breakthrough Podcast. My guest today is Tim Allison. Tim, welcome to the show. Esty, I'm so happy to be here. Tim, I'm so happy that you're here. Guys, Tim is super cool, all right? He <laughs> walked away from a six-figure income, moved to a tiny fishing village in Nova Scotia, Canada, started his own company, and everybody laughed at him and told him, like, that was ridiculous. I don't know if you've heard my first episode. Maybe that sounds familiar. However, they stopped laughing when his sales topped 10 million. All right. Tim now is the host of the Screw the Naysayers podcast. His most recent claim to fame is that in his 100th episode, he had Seth Godin. Hello. That is so <laughs> cool. I want Seth Godin. Um, hey, Seth, come on my show. And uh, Tim, welcome to the show. Oh, again, it's just uh, so much fun. Looking forward to it. So I want to hear a little bit about this transition because I think we've got a lot of listeners who are working, who are afraid to yeah. either they're working part-time or full-time. They're trying to do something on the side and like, how could you walk away from a job to pursue a dream? Like, oh, yeah. that's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really cool, you know, that you ask that, Estan. It's, it's all... It's also the thing that, you know, I continue to get the most engagement on, you know, in my social media platforms. People will reach out and say, you've done what I want to do. Now, can we talk about how you got there? And, um, you know, I think the first thing I want to get out there, and I, I've actually been writing about this a lot lately, um, it was not easy. And, and I, I'm, I get really annoyed, Esty, when I hear people saying that quitting a six-figure job and, you know, and, and when walking away from that kind of security for your family and, and, and everything else is, is easy. And that, you know, that if, if you don't do it, you lack courage and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I tell you what, anybody who says that has either never done it or uh, was forced to leave a job because they were fired or something like that. It's just, um, so I, I don't, I want to get that right up front. I mean, I, I, it's a decision that I, I struggled with for, I think realistically at least two years. Oh, wow. Um, um, I think truthfully, the, um, the, the thing that made me really fortunate when I compare my, my journeys to the journeys of so many of the guests that I've had on, on my, uh, you know, Screw the Naysayers podcast is so many of them have actually gotten to the point of a really major infrastructure rattling event. It could be a heart attack. It could be a divorce. Um, you know, it could be a lost business, a lost job. I mean, I had one guest on my show, uh, Kevin Bomer, in the span of one week found out that his wife was having an affair lost a job in a company that he helped found and really considered himself to be a partner in and ended up in the hospital with some heart problems in oh a seven-day period. So <laughs> I got, I think I got close to at least two of those three. I mean, I was, I was so doing such a poor job of handling a, a, a job that just felt meaningless to me. You know, I was making fistfuls of money, more money than I ever dreamed about making. I was in 1988, and that's how old I am. But um, SD, I was in the top 2% of wage earners in the country. And I don't say that to boast, but to just, you know, it is hard to walk away from, you know, from something like that. But I didn't feel purpose in what I was doing. I felt like, and I knew I was being a lousy husband and even worse parent. And my kids, I mean, I was never seeing them. I was either living out of a suitcase or going to 
the office, you know, before they were up getting home after they've, you know, they'd already gone to bed type of thing. And I think I just got right to that edge where I just, I, something just told me that, Tim, if you don't quit this job, you're going to be dead or divorced within five years, probably both, probably sooner. So it's, it's <laughs> oh literally just, it's just literally that I got that insight up without having to end up in the hospital or thankfully losing a marriage or, you know, or, or, or something like that. But th and that's why I'm so passionate about talking to people about it because every day I see people that are on that path. Um, and I want to say to them, look, it's not going to be easy. Um, but anyone who tells me that, you know, they don't have a choice, you know, or that they're trapped, there's a difference between, uh, I wrote this in an article recently in LinkedIn, there's a difference between feeling like we're trapped and actually being trapped. Trapped as if somebody's outside the door with a submachine gun telling you you can't leave. Trapped as if you're, you know, you're, if you're in a job where somebody's, you know, abusing you or doing something really, you know, uh, you know, bad. But, you know, thankfully, with a lot of the, the things like Me Too and everything else that we got going on today, and we talk about that in my show a lot too, but I think we're kind of past most of those days. We're trapped because in our mind, we don't like the choices you know, or the consequences of the choice that comes with, you know, with, with trying for it. Totally. I and, love that. And it, it does. I think it's so important what you're saying. It takes so much courage. It does. And that, that is the key that unlocks that door. You know, there, there are so many doorways we walk through on our, our journey through our lives. And yeah. the, the key that unlocks the door to something like this, right, where, where you, you do have a choice, you might not feel like you do, and it's hard courage is the key that unlocks that door that takes you to a much better place. So, yeah. so I get it. You're there, you're struggling, you get this kind of download, you feel like, okay, I'm going to be dead or worse. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and I, I do think there's worse than death. Um, death, I think is not so bad. So dead or worse <laughs> in five yeah. years or less. Yeah. And, um, and so, but you chose to move to some random yeah. fishing village. Like, <laughs> Where were you were living in a big city in America, right? In, in Toronto, actually. In Toronto. Oh, you were in Canada or anything? So yeah, you were in yeah. Toronto, which yeah. is a big city, and then you it was You told me you're like two hours away from any airport, even four well, hours. No, three now. It was four four hours in those days. It it's not entirely random though, Esty. It was actually where my wife was born. Um, okay, so, so there had, was something. There was there was the connection here, but but um, you know, people laughed at me for good reason because you know even today. Um, you know, the business I'm running is very non-traditional. Um, in 1988, if, if you were a man living in this community that I'm in, um, you were working on a fishing boat um, in a fish plant, in a, cutting trees down, building homes, those kind of things. You worked with your hands. And, you know, I mean, these little hands uh, were not <laughs> made for, you know, that kind of... Uh, um, so, you know, uh, and, and realize that what I did was I started an educational software company from scratch. Um, and, and that's this in was, 1988 when, when, yeah, when tech so, startups were not trending. Well, like, let's face it, the, the World Wide Web did not exist. Um, right. You know, the, uh, the, my first computer, um, of course, we didn't have any uh, hard drives or anything. You had to run everything off floppy diskettes. I remember uh, those. You're I too remember. young to remember those. No, I am not. Uh, I, I had a floppy disk. Um, when I was in college, I still used uh, floppies a little bit, actually, because not every computer had CD burners yet. Okay, I'm, yeah. oh, I'm not CDs that old, didn't, but I'm not that young. But CDs floppies didn't like, exist. CDs, right, 1.44 megabytes. I look at sometimes, like, you know, my, my, um, my like, app updates are, like, five yeah. megabytes. This will break you up. Guess how much RAM was in my first desktop computer? Oh, I have no idea. 640K. 
Oh my gosh, that hurts. <laughs> that 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 was the, you know, so so people legit had some legitimate reasons for you know to be looking at me like I had seven heads and you know and all of these kind of things, um, you know, I felt confident because I had spent five years really learning that craft in Ontario in Toronto and and I'd worked with some of the biggest corporations in in the country and partner you know and even some in North America, um, so I I I think I I you know I knew it could could be done but I mean I don't think I was prepared for how big of a slug the first you know few few years were going to be and I also think I really here's another thing I like to tell people is that I I the biggest mistake I made was that I bought into the all of the negativity that people were throwing at me so I actually convinced myself that I had sacrificed any chance at a really good, exciting career and a high paying job and everything in order to be this family person and to live in this community and all this kind of stuff. So Esty, for three years, I said, my goal is to make enough money to put food on the table and keep a roof over my head. And, you know, guess what? That is exactly the amount of money I made and not a penny more. Like, you know, it was paycheck to paycheck. Some paychecks weren't even there. You know, that is so funny that you say that. I just posted about this, that you will never be able to earn more money than you think you can earn. You exactly. are your ceiling. So that's if you exactly. are just trying to put food on the table, that's what you're going to just be able to do. But, and again, it's not about dreaming of millions, right? But thinking grow rich is a real thing. <laughs> like yeah, the whole, no. that whole pathway. If you can't see beyond something, then you won't ever get there. So no, what was absolutely. That journey like what? What did it take to build? I'm so curious. What did it take to build a software company in the late '80s? Yeah, well, a lot of collaboration. And and what I ended up doing was was uh, really almost all of my 30 some odd years of entrepreneurial success has been built around collaborating with you know with others. Um, so I knew a heck of a lot about the um, you know the you know the Canadian market, and I knew a heck of a lot about educational technology. And I just found other people out there that were in the space, and ultimately I ended up. Um, this is when I stopped, uh, started believing that I could do more. I said, well, well, I didn't say, I have to give credit here. I mean, he, he's re rest in peace, Roy, he's not with us anymore. But I ran into this guy. He's a Polish American, you know, first generation uh, American from Poland, um, uh, living in Minnesota at a conference in San Diego. And I run into this guy. Uh, this is how crazy the world is. My life changed because Roy... You know, when we were sitting there over over drinks at the end of this this conference or one evening, and I was telling him about what I'd done before and what I was doing now, and he sort of looked at me. He says, "What the hell are you messing around with? Like, how come you don't have a national company by now?" And I said, "Roy, I can't build a company like that in a little fishing village." And he stopped and he looked at me. And again, this is going to date me because back in those days, we actually had to mail checks to the credit card companies when we wanted to pay our balance on our he says he says to me tim he says i mail a check to american express every month and it goes to some little rinky dink place in north dakota or south dakota he says i don't know where the heck that is but do you think i care he said why do you think people would care that you're you know in that little fishing village and once i started saying well instead of i can't do it i said well you know if I want to do this, what if? What if I tried this? And I would go to Roy and I'd say, well, because he was working with a big company in the States that had some pretty good products, um, but out of San Diego. But the difficulty was is that they were very culturally American. And so if you're going to teach, it was teaching, reading, and math. So if you're trying to teach math in Canada, you can't teach it unless you have it in metric. 
Uh, you know, because we I don't. And also, you say Z, don't you? Well, we do. We, there's certain words that are there's spelled different differently, and and, and and even even in the in the reading lessons. I mean, you know, the the reading lessons were also subliminally teaching people to be good citizens. So the lessons were about the U.S. Bill of Rights and the Constitution and uh, famous American figures and all that. And you know, we're we're pretty, uh, you know, flexible culture up here in Canada, but we don't respond all that well to training our kids that stuff you know but I just said Roy I said what if I went out and hired some teachers and because I knew a lot about the technology I could see the structure of the programs and I said what if we took exactly the same templates you got there but we just changed the pictures and the questions but like so if it's multiple choice for example the correct answer would still always be whatever it was if it was b last time it's b this time I hear um, I mean, using the exact same foundation just instead of it being George Washington some Canadian person. And, that yeah, heard. exactly. A Canadian prime minister or something. <laughs> and, and, you know, so instead of spending millions and millions of dollars, which is what had, they had invested to get to that product, that pace, place, I think I spent, invested what, $25,000. Wow. And, and all of a sudden we had a total state-of-the-art product. Um, the only one in the world with Canadian content in it. There was one other major competitor, but he had the same problem that the other folks had. And, and I started, you know, yeah, really prospering. And so how did you get those customers though? Like, so I, I love that, that idea. And, and I've got to say, I was actually watching, um, there's these guys, they have this whole like program course on creating a viral YouTube channel and yeah. what's their whole hack, their whole hack. And, and I believe there's probably more in the program, but you know, they have this PLF guys, PLF product launch formula, Jeff Walker, um, yeah, watched exactly. three videos of content and video number four sells you something. Yeah. So the whole PLF kind of, it always outlines the system. Their whole hack is find something that's already working and put your spin on it. So if there's already a channel, that's a guy, um, getting, you know, um, asking people on the street questions during the daytime, you do it at nighttime outside of bars. Like, yeah. Take yeah. It. And, and I feel like that's this. So many people feel like to run a business, you got to reinvent the wheel. And yeah. I love what you're saying. Don't reinvent it. Take a wheel that's running really, really well and see where you might modify it for another audience. Yeah. I mean, the only exception to that is a space that I'm that I'm working in right now is if if you get into thought leadership, and that's where you're actually creating your your business around your own original thought. Right, that's but, different. But, but even is, then, but, but, even but, then, there's well, there's models, there's the industry there's, exactly, yeah, and exactly. there's models and there's streams, and, yeah. and it's your unique spin on meaning. If you've got thought leadership on squirrels right? Yeah. There's no real place for that. <laughs> so you're yeah. still always piggybacking on something that's working with your spin. Yeah. And it has to be about, about things that you no, care about. But what did you do to actually about. start getting business? I love so, that. I mean, that's, that's, that's the other thing. And again, I, I, I used a very similar, uh, you know, strategy. I mean, I, um, the first million or so in sales, I, I did directly myself. I mean, I just got in a car, started driving long distances, sometimes flying, but mostly stayed within, you know, within a day's driver, you know, type of thing. Started to build some, um, some success. The people that I hired, I mean, you know, we had one motto, you know, in my office, uh, and that was that our job was to make heroes out of our customers. And see, our customers were running adult literacy programs. So they were teachers, basically, that were using our software with their students. And so my software is only as good as those teachers. If those teachers aren't passionate and care and everything, it won't matter what's on that computer screen. Um, so we just did everything we possibly could to make those people successful.
successful. And so we started to get some traction with some, you know, some really good references. And then all I did was I set up a, a dealer network across the country. I just, I just, you know, started to attract enough attention that, that, you know, in a lot of cases, people reached out to me, but I basically just identified people that, that uh, had businesses or were interested in starting a business where they could essentially rep represent our product. Um, you know, and, and uh, we would provide the, you know, the product, all of the technical support, the 800 support, they, their job was to get customers. And they did could get you call, did you cold call? Like, I love breaking things down to detail. Yeah. Someone's sitting, he's got a product and he's like, okay, now what? So you're like, I got in the car and I drove. Great. Drive where? How'd you yeah. get in the door? So, How'd you know they would meet? Yeah, no. Sure. So, I mean, you had to, I had to identify the people that were in the, for me, it was, uh, it was niching down to the people that were in the business of teaching adults literacy and, and numeracy. But there was no internet. Yeah. How'd you find them? Uh, you know what? <laughs> um, no, that's a, that, that is a good question. Um, you know, in, in those first, in those, the internet existed, but not the World Wide web. Um, right. You know, I mean, word of mouth, uh, conferences. Um, I started in the, with the with the community college system in one of the provinces, and that led to quite a number of sales. And then they would, you know, give me names of people, and and so there was a lot so of networking, talk, connecting, talking, networking, and asking. connecting, and some cold calling, and certainly. Um, and I'll tell you another thing that I did that was very non-traditional, Leslie, because you know, well, after I'd been at it for three or four years, my business, my largest business expense was travel. Like I was, Canada's geographically bigger than the United States. And yet yeah, we only really had about large. 25 million people in those days. And you're up in the middle of nowhere. Well, still at the actually, top, I'm right? all way on one coast. I'm way out on the East Coast in the middle of nowhere. And so all of the business is way west, you know. Um, so I, I sat there one day and I thought, you know, I'm spending all this money on, on travel. And, and uh, for me, and then I had employees by then that I was sending around. And everybody's telling me that where I'm living is a competitive disadvantage. And then I was sitting around one day and I looked outside and it was like, the thing is, is that in the summertime, living where I live is not a disadvantage. I live right on the Bay of Fundy. It's some of the most beautiful country in the world. It's unlike most parts of North America. It's very, very like, um, it's not like the Northeastern United States, which is very industrialized. Even in Maine along the coast is all like wall to wall people. Here you've got lots of open spaces. There was this old, beautiful old style resort um, in the port of Digby, about 45 minutes from my house, you know, beautiful, like the old railroad resorts that you used to think of at Banff and things like that. And what I did is I, I decided to put on uh, something. It was in the town was Digby, and I called it the Digby Institute. And what we did is we invited in education leaders from across the country to, to come and participate in panel discussions and presentations about the impact of technology on education. So there was no direct selling of my product, but what I had was I got all these people in a room with me for like three days, you know, to wine and dine and have dinner and play golf. And, and I arranged a spousal program so that if they wanted to bring their spouses with them, they could go whale watching and touring and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, the deal was that if you pay to get to Nova Scotia, I'll pay for two nights in this really high class, you know, resort. I'll provide your meals, the entertainment, the spousal program. Um, and every one of these guys had professional development budgets. They just took it in the summertime, used the budget. Many of them actually drove out east, used it, made a vacation out of it, got it paid for by their, by their employer. And now all of a sudden, when I wanted to go to Vancouver on the West Coast or something, or if I had an employee going out, I didn't have to worry about whether I could get a meeting. Because I mean, I I just call them up and I'd say, hey, you know, Patty's going to be in or I'm going to be in, you know, yeah, would you want to meet for dinner? It wouldn't be even, can I get 15 minutes in your office? And um, so it's always, it's just about kind of thinking outside the box type of thing. Totally. Um, but you, you funded it. That must have been very expensive. 
to cover the expenses for people. That, that institute at that stage was co cost me about $25,000. But keep in mind, by that stage, the, the program that I was selling was a $50,000 product. I hear. And, you know, and when you're trying to grow your, you know, your, you know, your, uh, you know, my monthly payroll at that stage was like $30,000 a month or something like that. So, gotcha. um, so at that stage, your marketing budget was even bigger than that. And you could have spent that same 25,000 on magazine ads, but and it would have gotten nowhere. Way more work. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Now, I didn't start that way. Of course. I just, I did it the old fashioned way by knocking on doors. Totally. Now, no, that makes so much sense. And people think, I always talk about this because one of my uh, marketing workshops is called Beyond the Ad. People yeah. are, are mostly, because they, they see just what they see, you know, and they see ads, you know, so monkey see, monkey do, monkey see ad, monkey do ad. Sorry. Monkey. I know. Um, but, but something like this, even when you have well, a budget, you know, the investment is just completely different. And I love the creativity. So what are you up to now? Because I know, when it, can, can we say your age? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think I've already put it out there. Because you're 61, you, you yeah. finished this company. I think you, did you sell it? What did you end up doing with it when you were so done? In, in uh, around 2006, I, I sold off the, uh, the, the intellectual property. Um, you know, the, what it really, in, in, in interest of full disclosure, what had happened by that stage, Esty, is that with the advent of the internet, uh, the very large companies, like, like the biggest publishing companies in the world, things like, like Pearson. Like like Well, those. yeah, Pearson bought Simon & Schuster, and then they- Oh, wow, like the And biggest. what these guys were doing is, at that stage, like today, anybody can create an online an online e-learning course. Totally. But in those days, it was a really big deal. Um, and it got to the stage where, where those giants were literally buying companies up just to close them, just so they could monopolize the market. And, it, and the pace of technology began to change so fast that as soon as you got somebody, something developed, it was obsoleted. Um, so by that stage, our kids were, you know, uh, one was through university, the other one was in university. Um, so I had a chance to sell off the, the remaining IP to Houghton Mifflin in, in New England, and I did. Um, and the plan was to take a, a year or two to walk on the beach uh, uh, and relax. So I, my wife, uh, uh, unfortunately, had to deal with ovarian cancer, um, which she did and, and has beat successfully. And it's now been way over 10 years. So, um, But after that, um, I did about a dozen years of business coaching, like I would say small business coaching, of mostly around the financial side of things, like just helping mom and pop businesses where the people are just working their butt off. And they can't understand why they're not making money. And it's mostly because they just don't understand the principles of pricing, you know, wage costs and all those kind of things. Um, and then at age 60, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of that. And I thought again about heading to the beach. I really did. But I wrote a little book. <laughs> I, I wrote a little book called Screw the Naysayers. They Suck Anyways. Um, and it's a short little thing. And it's very sarcastic, irrever you know, irreverent look at what I think are the lies that we're still telling our kids today, the same lies I was told that, you know, the path to success is a four year degree program at a big name college. So you can go get a job in the corporate world and, and, um, and then you should climb, spend your entire life climbing that corporate ladder. And I'm not criticizing anybody who's in that life and, and is happy with it. It's not up to me to tell people, um, you know, what to do or what not to do. I just, it's just in my experience, there's a lot of us that are not very fulfilled. And I, at, by the time you get to my age, I look around me and I see so many people that I know. They're, they're incredible actors, Esty, because they'll tell you they're happy, but they're not. And, and they're now casting their look in the rearview mirror and saying, oh, I, what did I do here? Or more importantly, what didn't I do? And uh, so the Screw the Naysayer book just started to attract a lot of attention with young people. And somebody, and I wish I could remember who it was, said to me, why don't you start a podcast? And I almost didn't know what a podcast was. And on top of that, the idea of the, 
you know, the technology, which is easy for a lot of people, uh, scared the hell out of me. Um, but I got, I started it up. I said my first guest on May 15th of 2018. Um, I learned how to record the episodes. I learned how to edit my own uh, video I, or, or audio. It was just, it's just an audio podcast. I, uh, you know, I learned how to upload my episodes to iTunes and, and to do all this kind of stuff. I started promoting it on, 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 on social media. Um, and the thing just kind of took on a, a life of its own. And it just progressed. And, uh, you know, to the point where by the fall of last year, I was attracting, uh, by the middle of September last year, I had spoken and recorded interviews with people in all, every continent in, on this planet, except for Antarctica. Um, and since there's no permanent inhabitants in Antarctica, I'm still haven't figured out how I'm going to get that podcast, but I kind of like to. <laughs> um, Researchers. But, you know, Researchers. Yeah, that's it. That was what it would have to be. Yeah. Um, but screw the naysayers and, and that, you know, that just kept getting, and it's such an eclectic mix because I mean, what is screw the naysayers means something different to everybody. Like, so for some people, it means screw the naysayers. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make it work on my own. For some people, it means I'm going to move halfway across the country to, to do, you know, be somewhere else. For some people, you know, um, you know, it, it means that even though they're in a very bad space or have faced horrible adversity, um, this part really shocked me. I attracted a lot of guests that have faced enormous adversity and have found a way to find a gift in that adversity. And now share that gift, you know, traveling around the world, telling others about it, and you know, and, and inspire. And um, so it's just such a crazy mix. Um, and through all that, um, you know, I found myself. Um, I, I today I also advise and mentor experienced leaders, um, you know, on how to harness their their knowledge and their wisdom. Um, and create a business that aligns with the things they really care about. Um, it's not about the tactical execution of it. You know, it's about, um, because I even went through that stage. You know, here I am, a very successful entrepreneur and a lifetime of, you know, of experience, lots of, you know, of, of publicity and media attention and everything else. But I found myself at a stage last year really questioning whether the value of my business knowledge and experience was still relevant today. Because I kept listening to, it reminded me when you were talking, um, you know, about, we were talking about, you know, making the switch to the, you know, the corporate jobs uh, to your being self-employed and that, you know, you just put an ad up and everybody's going to come running to you and start buying, you know, gazillions of dollars of product. You know, there's so much bad messaging out there about that, that suggests that that's exactly, if you're not able to build a business where you can sit there making passive income, sitting on a beach in Thailand, sipping a Mai Tai within six months, you must be a loser. And, and the reality is almost nobody actually does that. No, um, and the ones who do, I had someone on my show. They, um, uh, I don't want to like give too much away, but basically seven figure business, okay? Seven figure business, online business, really amazing. Okay, when you break it down, there were four partners, okay? Yeah. And it was a product-based business that had yeah. tiny margins. How yeah, much exactly. money do you think they walked away with? Well, that's Pennies. exactly, exactly. Pennies. But they're so cool. Seven figure business. We're exactly. When you play with those numbers, that's not so cool. Oh, no. And, and I'm telling you what, I mean, you know, one platform that I'm on a great deal these days is LinkedIn. And there's an, ep I would almost say it's pandemic, but certainly an epidemic of people that have cult-like followings. And they've got massive numbers of followers and everything. And everybody thinks that these people are wildly successful. Half of these people are struggling to pay their electric bill. 
Totally. Oh my gosh. That's you my know, post. That was my yeah. post. You're like, everything you say is like one of my, one well, of my great minds. Seriously. No, because I actually had one day, it was right around the time um, when, and this was so sad when um, Kate Spade and I forgot um, Anthony. The, Anthony uh, Bourdain. Bourdain. Um, when they both um, said that they don't want to be in this world anymore and yeah. made that choice for themselves. Um, and at the same exact time, like three of my clients who were social media famous couldn't make payroll. And I'm just That's sitting it. there going like, everyone thinks that fame is the answer. Like to me, it was, yeah. it was the juxtaposition of those two events. Everyone thinks fame is the answer, right? So you look at these social media famous people like, oh, they're so successful. And like these people couldn't make payroll. And it was yeah. like, forget that the bank was knocking down their door and this and that. And you look at these famous people, the quote unquote, yeah. super successful, quote unquote, who are so miserable. They cannot yes, imagine exactly. living another day. Yeah, exactly. And but what the, the other part of that argument, the flip side of that argument that I really don't like, though, is that there's there's this other tendency to sort of villainize money and make it sound like having money is a bad thing. Uh, having money is a nice thing. Like I and I, you know, I, 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 I don't um, I, I really don't subscribe to the idea that that wanting to have a, you know, more income so you can travel the world with your family and, and experience life differently and to be paid for the value of the work that you're putting in is something that we should ever, um, you know, have any, any shame about. But there is that alternative, you know, you know, universe. So we're get, people are getting hammered with this negative, the, the negative message or the wrong messages on both ends. It, you know, if you try and visualize making money, people almost make, it, make you feel as if you're greedy to expect more. And if you don't find the easy money, it's, it's, it's like, you know, um, you know, one of my LinkedIn well, you posts. you must be stupid. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. you figure it out? <laughs> you know, the word that, the, the word that I'm on, I wrote an article on it on, on, on LinkedIn, but it's, it's called, you know, it basically says quitting your job um, you know, is not about freedom. You know, everybody's talking about quit your job and be free. And I'm thinking, free from what? Like oh, yeah. standing at the door with a submachine gun telling you you can't go out the door? You know, and we have, if those of us that live in quote, on you know, quote, uh, westernized democracies, unquote, we can quit any bloody job we want. We just might not like what would happen, you know, if we quit. Oh, the, the, co the consequences. The I consequences. Clients, I do some executive coaching also, not, not like officially, but sometimes I get some of that for um, professional development and whatever. So one of my guys that do executive coaching is at a, a very high level in a very large company. And he just had a huge frustration with a boss and a coworker. The coworker is threatened by him, stopping him from doing stuff. He can't do what he wants. The boss isn't doing anything about it. He's like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to leave. I'll do my own thing. I'll get a different job. I'm like, okay, chill, breathe. Yeah. I, just, I need you to understand that you might not have any better time in any other company. All yeah, companies exactly. have annoying people in them yeah, exactly. that might be threatened by you. That might not, Are you going to jump company to company every time you get stuck? Because you won't yeah. get very far. There's still so much you can do here. But I think, you know, for some people, the grass is always greener. Um, yeah. I love when people say to me, Esty, I want to go into consulting because uh, I, I don't want to have a boss anymore. I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, 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 you yeah. don't have one boss, you got 50, all your clients yeah. are your bosses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, 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 you know, and the other thing that I don't like about, about the, the, the word freedom is, is honestly, unless we're living in an environment where, you know, where, where we, we don't have our freedoms. Like there are many places in this world where that's not true. Um, you know, let's get, let's get honest about this thing. I mean, do, do we want to be free from obligations to our family? Do we want to be free from obligations to our community, 
do we want to be free from obligations to, you know, making the world a better place? And I don't. I mean, I mean let's be totally honest. There are a lot of people who do. It's an immaturity. Well, they think they do. It exactly it is. And <laughs> they, when they when they get that, the they're going to be all day watch Netflix, have all their food yeah. delivered until yeah. they're so bleary eyed and brain dead that either yeah. they wake up or they die. Yeah, and that's exactly what will happen. I mean, those are the people that you can't, you, you know, that I don't invest any time in trying to, to help. I've, you know, I've learned a long time ago that, you know, you can't help someone until they're ready to be helped. Um, yeah. and I will try to help someone more than they want to be helped. It, it, more than they want Same to be helped. Same exact thing. You know, it's, it's great minds. Family. It drives, drives you crazy because, you know, you can, you see how you can mentor and help this person, but you're not going to listen. So badly, but you, oh, I know. you cannot help because it's like, you're trying to pull someone and they're drowning and you're like, okay, take my hand and they won't take it and you hold them, but they're flailing around so much yeah. that you can't possibly pull them out. Like, yeah. No. Stop thrashing. They're like, no, yeah. no, no. That's exactly it. It's a great analogy. (laughs) Makes me nuts. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Stay tuned for part two going live Thursday. And of course, subscribe. You do not want to miss this. You've been listening to the Business Breakthrough Podcast with SD Rand. If you're looking for a breakthrough in your business, reach out at sdran.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show. Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours?